Oh yeah. Yeah. Glenville boys are built different. I'm telling yes. you, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, you know, they, they have a category amongst Ohio State lore for yeah. a reason. The Glory Days Podcast: Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer, hosted by Chris Caldwell, and presented by Branch Insurance. Coverage you need, savings you deserve. Glory Days fans, an impromptu programming note to start this episode. Unfortunately, we have been made aware that some of you may have received an incorrect feed of last week's pivotal Michigan episode. We'd like to extend our sincerest apologies for this temporary programming issue. To fix it, if you have episodes downloaded automatically from your podcast provider, please click the download button to remove the incorrect feed and then click it again, which should re-download the correct feed. Last week's episode was one that you don't want to miss, as we covered a lot of ground about Michigan and gave some unique first-person insights into the greatest rivalry in sports. We work hard to earn your trust, and we know that fans of our content are some of the most loyal listeners around. So our apologies for any inconvenience this may have caused. A quick reminder before we start the show. Here's how you can find us on social media. At Twitter, at Glory Days Pod. That's all one word, at Glory Days Pod. On Instagram, at glory underscore days underscore pod and on Facebook at glory days podcast. Welcome Buckeye fans. It's Chris Caldwell and you are listening to another episode of the glory days podcast dreams and nightmares with your hosts and former standouts from the 2014 national champions receiver Evan Spencer and linebacker Joshua Perry. How you doing guys? Hanging in there, man. How are you? Good, good. But I am so excited to be covering today's topic with you guys because it's the Big Ten Championship and it occurs on December 6, 2014. But let's start this episode off with the postseason awards because with the end of the regular season occurring on the previous Saturday, two days later, the Big Ten is going to release their postseason awards. And as you can probably imagine, based on the strength of an undefeated Big Ten season, The Buckeyes lead the league with eight players being selected for conference-wide honors. Those eight include JT Barrett, Pat Elfline, Taylor Decker, Jeff Hireman, Joey Bosa, Michael Bennett, Duran Grant, and our own Joshua Perry. Mm. JT is also the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, and Joey Bosa is the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Joshua, I want to read a quote that caught my eye in Urban's book, Above the Line. Here, Urban says, Linebacker Joshua Perry and I were talking one day when the subject turned to the issue of trust and the connection he felt to his Ohio State teammates. You can't play football by yourself, Joshua said. It's the greatest team sport. You have to be able to count on each other, trust each other completely, and know that the guy next to you will have your back no matter what. Now, we've heard from both of you that the team aspect of football is so important. And I'm wondering, in such a team sport, how does the football program at Ohio State recognize players when they are individually honored by the conference? Um, it's, it's a unique situation uh, because of what Ohio State really is. And so I think the first place you have to start is the expectation that when you come to Ohio State and you're the the starting Mike linebacker, you're the starting quarterback, or you're the starting left tackle, is that you will become an all-conference player. That is baseline expectation. If you're below that level of play, then how good are the Buckeyes really going to be? Like, 
the Buckeyes starting tackle has to be an all-conference tackle or else the Buckeyes aren't going to be a Big Ten championship team. And so, like, the recognition for that kind of stuff was, you know, coach or read off the names, you get a pat on the back, whatever. When you're Joey Bosa and you're the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year, when you're JT Barrett and you're the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, that's where you start to get some more of the recognition. When you are um, A.J. Hawk and you're a Buckkiss Award winner or when you're James Laurinaitis and you're a first-team All-American, that's where some of the, the the bigger recognition comes. But even to that point, it's more of a let's recognize these guys so people understand within the locker room yeah. You only have to do your 111th because you're playing next to an All-American or you're playing behind the – like, for me, I'm playing behind Joey Bosa. I just got to do my job because I know he's about to tear shit up. Yeah. And so I think that was part of the the process, too, is when you have faith in your teammates because they get those accolades, you don't have any other reason but to listen to your coach and do your job. 100%. I mean, there's so many other programs, right, where guys start worrying about, like, oh, well, yeah, I think I'm sweet, but, like, what if the guy next to me doesn't step the right way? And, you know, that hesitation actually gives an advantage to the other side or your opponent, the guy that you're going against. So, um, you know, it just all starts to kind of boil into a head uh, together as you go. Well, I mean, with a program as decorated as Ohio State, I got to think – showcasing and awards and recognizing great teams would be something that is featured when recruits come to visit Columbus. You know, take me inside a 16-year-old Joshua Perry's head or Evan Spencer's head during the recruiting process. Well, Ohio State, when you walk through those halls, Evan, are they saying, there's Chris Carter, there's David Boston? And Joshua, to what you said, are they saying, there's Chris Spielman? probably one of our greatest players that ever played here. There's Andy Katzenmoyer. Are they, are they using this during the recruiting process to tell you that you can be the next person there? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I definitely to say the stage is set very, very well. Uh, we've um, uh, renovated our facility many times, and it's awesome in there. It's beautiful. But um, down one of our halls that where all of our meeting rooms are, everything connects to it from the waiting room all the way to training room, locker rooms, etc. cetera. Uh, but if you go down there, you can walk in and see almost all of the history tattooed up on the wall to some degree with graphics, right? I know I've seen pictures of Braxton next to JT, next to, uh, Ter- or, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not Terrell, um, uh, Troy Smith and others, right? But, you know, at, at one point, right, I was even walking past a picture of my dad's Big Ten championship team, and I got to always point to his picture on the wall, and it was, I don't know, maybe for me, a, a motivation or just kind of like a, a, a table-setting moment. But at the end of the day, think about a recruit who's coming in trying to decide, hey, do I want to come to a program that has this rich of a history that's um, this powerful? I can make this big of an imprint in, you know, each play that I have the chance to play out on the field can be cemented in history and especially here in this wall. Um, those starts, those thoughts start to roll around. And, you know, I think here at Ohio State, that's what attracts a lot of recruits, right? We, they, they, they want to have those opportunities. And um, at least in environments like the Hall and the Woody Hayes, our facility that I'm speaking to, you know, it, it, it brings that, um, uh, that mental or whatever that picture is, those dreams to physical. Like, hey, I, I can be here and I can do this thing. That's awesome. And I've always wanted to. But it's it's not just the history, I think, and this is the the reason why Ohio State has separated so much in the Big Ten Conference and is a perennial playoff team, is you have the history there and the tradition speaks for itself. But I think the way that Urban did it, you know, on his way out and the way Ryan Day is doing it right now is awesome, is they have 
from Urban's tenure, jerseys of every first-round pick that he's had, and then Ryan Day's guys up there, as soon as you walk into the lobby of the Woody, and then they have the the CFP National Championship trophy alongside the other ones, and they got the Heismans and everything, but like you see the brand-new trophy from the new era, and you see the ring box from the new era, and you see the first-round picks from basically 2012 on, and that's something that Michigan can't do. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, just it, a lot of schools can't do it. And so when you walk in as a recruit and you see all of that, they're going to ask you, why would you choose that other place right. when you're looking at everything right here? Mm-hmm. It, it's not a decision that they have to make. If you make a different right. decision, coach is going to be like, oh, that's perfectly fine. It was great recruiting you. You don't want to be great. Good luck. And then that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, you have to walk through the crystal ballroom, all of the trophy room, the fiesta yes. ballroom, the O2 wins, all of those uh, trophies and you know moments are enshrined in this glass um, room. You walk through that to get to all of those personal accolades that are tattooed up on the wall, the teams and, and- that have done great. You think about this, too, I think it's, it's the greatest thing because some schools will recruit and, and they'll show you their trophy from, you know, like 1995 when these <laughs> kids that are getting recruited today weren't even alive. And they'll be mm-hmm. like, you can help us get back to this point. Right. When you <laughs> yeah. walk into the Woody, they're like, dude, we're here. We just right, we just yeah. need you to do it again. Like that, yeah, that think, big old big old screen that plays that's on it. repeat. Yeah. <laughs> like think about doing your sales pitch, not from a we need you to get back here. It's from a we're already here. We just need you so we can do it again. Trains like, moving, man. You jumping it. on, you jumping off. That's it. That that's awesome. Because I was going to ask you during your recruiting visits how the other schools compared. I mean, did Ohio yeah. State blow everybody else away in terms of the tradition and the the accolades they had? Uh, you know, of, of the things that you guys just talked about. Was anybody for, for, even and, close? Man, for and the me, facilities weren't even that great back when we were getting recruited, Evan. Yeah. That's the wild part about it. Like we yeah. were going based off of basically tradition alone and then they upgraded everything 100%. um and I'll, I'll let you finish what you were getting ready to say but like it's it's hard to turn that down alone and then once they did the upgrades i don't think it's like they <laughs> yeah. that's why they cannot recruit anybody yeah, yeah the, the upgrades removed the question but i mean yeah no i mean looking at all of that stuff was um for me while you know going through it it just became a no-brainer right like you know i, I guess i didn't start off by with or start off by coming to ohio state in terms of my recruiting process maybe because i knew that it would be an immediate yes then afterwards uh but once i did come here it was like you know i felt like i was at home it was a spring yeah. game i got to go in and out of the locker room in and out of um the stadium and it was just like oh i remember all of these traditions why would i not come here down the line. But Evan, we talked about Jeff Hireman. Can you, as one of his closest friends and roommates on the team, tell us a little bit about Jeff and maybe something that we don't know about number five? (laughs) Yeah, man. I mean, first of all, love the guy to death. He's one of the funniest, biggest personalities I've ever met. Um, But also, I I felt that I could relate so much to him. But, you know, to to walk back slightly and and, and quickly, he and I were roommates when we first got to to Ohio State. So everybody gets to pick who they're going to room with. And I'm pretty sure maybe all of us just delayed the process. And we ended up just getting the room together. And we got there and we all got along um, and we all spent a lot of time. But Jeff and I were the furthest away, I guess we could say, from Ohio. Uh, where Devin and Joel Hale, um, Devin Smith, what they were they were going home a lot more um, th- throughout that that off season. So Jeff and I really started to get close there, and then from there we moved in together once we got out of the dorms, etc. But you know some some of the funniest 
Jeff stories I have are are very far from the football field. I can, I can, uh, I, I can definitely uh, assure you of that. Whether it's Kenny Chesney concerts where we're filling the backs of pickup trucks with, you know, 10, 12 cases of beer and figuring it out, jumping on and off Tambo Towers by the end of the concert or, uh, you know, getting and sealing the edge in a very important game where, you know, they, they told Jeff the tight end and Evan the glorified tight end to go over there and block the edge. So, yeah. you know, he, we, we were really close on, you know, multiple levels, but um, I was able to be the best man in his wedding. He's got a really, really strong and awesome family. And, you know, being able to be kind of considered, you know, in it and, you know, as, as we all were in, in, in the football family, but um, since we were able to be so close roommates, et cetera, um, you know, I got close with them and, you know, they're, they're great people. So, um, great person all in all the stories outside of the football field were, yeah. uh, some of the ones that I'll remember for the rest of my life. He's just another guy who seems to be enjoying the college experience when right. you see him being totally. interviewed and things like that. And you well, guys, something that was really enviable and sorry to cut you off was just the okay. fact that like how much like he and his family and it starts from his dad, right? Like just value life, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt that like so much of how he approached his day was just that like, you know, the fact that we're up and living and we get to have a good time is awesome. So let's do that. Right. She yeah, sure. We'll float the line in terms of making the coaches mad and doing what's fun (laughs) and what, what may be too far, (laughs) but you know, that's college. That's kind of, you know, that's the time you start finding out where those barriers are and boundaries are and how you can control yourself within them and still get schoolwork done, you know, still go beat Wisconsin, still go, um, you know, have aspirations past all of that. Well, we'll definitely talk about the closeness of this team, but it just seems like to be a team of majority good, solid guys. One quick thing before we move on. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, follow, and give us a download on your favorite podcasting app. It's easy to do. Just navigate to Glory Days, Dreams, and Nightmares on your podcasting platform and hit subscribe or follow, and you'll be able to see all of our newest updates right when they drop. Then remember to download each episode so you can take our show wherever you go. One more time, remember to subscribe and download the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, to listen to the newest episodes as soon as possible. No doubt. So on to the unfortunate passing of Costa Cara, George. And before we get into the specifics, an acknowledgement that this is a very sad thing. But one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast in the first place is because of all the adversity that this team had to overcome on the way to a national championship. I mean, we can review to this point, the season-ending losses of Braxton Miller, Noah Spence, JT Barrett during Michigan week, the early season loss to Virginia Tech and the initial number 16 ranking in the first ever college football playoff rankings. But here we're talking about life and death. And once again, a caution that these are 18 to 22-year-olds. So before we get into the specifics, let's talk about some memories of Costa Cara George, the person. And first up, we have two player quotes. Then I want to get both of your thoughts. Mike Bennett has a nice take. He says, he's got a great personality. One of my favorite people I've ever met. Just an interesting guy and a big heart. And Jalen Holmes has a playful side. He says, Costa would yell, yeah, baby, before every practice. Before his passing, your guys' memories of Costa Kara, George. Um, Costa was one of the most fun and lighthearted people around the facility. And it's, it's, he was like a, um, he was a try on 
tryout walk-on kind right. of guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like we have preferred walk-ons. So those are guys who come in with the freshman class. And, you know, like coach wanted them to be there, you know, didn't have a scholarship or whatever the case was. Uh, but they're, they're you know, like a real part of, of the class. He was an athlete, a wrestler, but he just mm-hmm. tried out, walked on. And some of those guys are quiet, a little bit more timid. They're not they don't feel as invested to the team. And quite frankly, our coaches, like they, they really kill those dudes in on the field and in, in the weight room, trying to make sure that they're invested in the team. But Kosi used to come great attitude all the time. Um, he assimilated right into the locker room extremely right. quickly. Like he was a guy where, you know, like we'd be out in the parking lot uh, of the Woody just talking and be like, you know, get together, let's eat wings, you know, let's, let's do whatever. Like he was, he was that guy where you felt like, even though you might not know him great, he was one of the boys that you knew for a while. Um, and it was it was always good to to see that, like a guy who knew he wasn't going to play, a guy who you know they were grinding him all the time, just coming around, big smile, doing whatever he could for the team to get better, and then wanted to, you know, be there for you as a friend when you left the facility. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of those cats, they come in, they get their work in, and then you would never see them. Literally yeah. would never see them once practice was over. And he was a guy where we were like, let's find a way to hang out with Costa. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the thing that I would add on to that is, you know, you pointed out something awesome and it was the tryout process, right? So many of those guys don't make it or don't get to make it to the next step because, yeah, sure, they may look like they can take the step or fill the hole that we need, but you have to assimilate. You have to have a personality and and you got to be able to have that buy-in. And it's not like everybody's got to be a clown to make it on the football team, right? But at the end of the day, we're sitting here trying to make sure that the guys in the locker room will, you know, feel that he is one. Right. So the fact that he went through that process and it was not even a question. Right. He would have the personality type for, you know, all of us that we would get along with him. I mean, hell, I know one of the memories that, you know, the guy that came in and made the team like that, obviously coming around, hanging out, eating with him in a training table. But, you know, he always would drive around on his motorcycle. So anytime anytime that you're going to class, you know, mine were all over the place um, and, and as were others. You know, you hear that damn motorcycle, and better, <laughs> better, better, better than that chance it was Costa, yeah, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it just kind of completes the it completes the picture and obviously showcases why we were all uh, ripped apart by it. But um, great guy and um, really, really good personality. You know, well, Evan, I, I want to jump in on that where you said we were ripped apart. Uh, the the For the short amount of time that he was with us on the team, he made that deep of an impact. Like Michael Bennett, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. He changed his number. Yep. So we would all remember Costa. Costa wasn't, you know, four years into the program like Michael was. Yeah. And he yeah. had that big of an impact. Right. Like that was who he was as a person. I think people might forget, too, that Costa was not only a football player, but he actually started his career – as a wrestler at Oklahoma yeah. before yeah. he transferred to Ohio State. So the guy had some athletic ability. Uh, I want to go through a timeline of events. Costa went missing the Wednesday before the Michigan game, and he had, been, he had not been seen since early that morning. His sister, Sophia, told the Columbus Dispatch he had some extenuating circumstances that night that led us to believe he was upset. And she added that her brother has dealt with a history of concussions. Costa's mom, Susan Cara George, told local TV station NBC4 that her son sent her a text message before vanishing that said, this kind of breaks your heart. Sorry if I'm an embarrassment, but these concussions have my head all, you can finish that up, effed up. Mm. 
we don't have to talk about this because this is a topic we could do all day and still have room to talk about more. But how does OSU help people with concussions? You know, we're, it's obviously there's been a light that shined on it right now. I am sure that Ohio State is probably leading, uh, uh, leading, you know, in, in this in this effort. Do how do how do they help you guys when people got concussions? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that we and you know just through relationships that I've had with trainers, whether it was while my dad was coaching or while I was playing, the the close proximity that I've had to them and 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 seeing how they actually care about the guys, they mm-hmm. are building baselines even when we're not thinking about you know why they're asking questions, why they're around us in in, in odd meetings, and then they're actually applying that to their own processes, right? Their own concussion protocols and and figuring out how they can manage the health of all these young men throughout life because at the end of the day this is the most important muscle that we all carry around us and we have a very physical sport that's going to knock it around so personally i've i've just been able to see how they were um kind of in taking all of the conversations that we were having with them to kind of get a gauge of our mental health so you know i'd say our training staff got an a plus for you know all of the things that they needed to do but you know at the end of the day it's still a a very physical sport and there are other sports that are physical that that cause the concussions as well but um you know i know to that you know costa was dealing with a lot that 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 also was those far from athletics yeah um and you know i I, i'm not going to begin to make hypotheses about what caused what and et cetera, nor do I want to get into that conversation. But, um, you know, I just know that there are many explanations for what got him to, you know, get to that moment. And it's a tragic moment and none that one that any of us really want to get into too much. Right. Cause sure. it's, it's, it sucks. It's, it's a hard string to pull on, but, um, you know, there's, there's just no one thing to point to, I guess is where I'd leave it. When did you guys first hear that he was missing? Uh, man, I mean, I it, it, was, it, it had to have been practice or meetings, right? Because I, I think it was one of those nobody misses weighing in. Yeah, you know, like we're we're in the facility, you know, Coach Mick. Hey, has anybody seen Costa? Where's Costa? You know, and then like you know, kind of through the great final, Costa's not here. And in mm-hmm. this is the kind of the crazy part about it, right? Talking about the the tryout walk on guys. It's not uncommon for those guys to disappear. Like right, those okay. boys will just not come back to the facility. There's no buy-in. <laughs> that workout yeah. was a little too real. I'm going, yeah, for I'm real. And then yeah. like you just yeah. never see those guys again. Like, oh, where did he go? And it's like, I don't know. We just never saw him again. And but Costa wasn't that guy. Right. And so yeah. that's why it was kind of like curious for us. We're like, dang, mm-hmm. he, like he's not a guy who would just skip practice. Right. You know, did he have an exam? Whatever, whatever. Like those are all the questions. But it was never like, is there something wrong with him? Yeah. It was just like, oh, man, it's weird that he's not here. Hope everything's cool. But yeah. it was probably like, oh, he's got a valid reason for not being here. Right. Yeah, pretty serious way. You walk into the facility, the first thing you do before you start team meeting or whatever meeting is, the first thing you do is you weigh in. Yep. So yeah. Coach Mick finds out whatever box is missing. Yeah. Right? Coach Mick goes to a very specific person with that information yeah. uh, when he gets it. Well, back to the timeline. On Friday, OSU releases an official statement asking anybody with information to call the authorities And we come to senior day on Saturday and his name is called. I was at the stadium and I can tell you the stadium was silent comparable to when JT went down. And the main scoreboard has a picture of Costa and asking the same, please contact the authorities. So we're now three days into Costa being missing. 
Joshua, you talked about it at the end of the Michigan game. It was weighing on your guys' minds. What are you guys saying to each other? Are you just saying, man, I just, I, I hope we can hear from Costa today or, or how are you guys communicating with each other as teammates at this point? Yeah. I mean, like one thought in my mind, low key was like, boy, I, I hope Costa comes back tonight so we can all celebrate, you know, like, right. yeah. like you're, no, you're trying to be optimistic about it. Yeah. You know, like at, at this point you really do know that something's wrong right. because like nobody goes radio silent for days you know, mm-hmm. they're they're running they're running, you know, missing person ads in the news like there is an issue. And so your mind automatically goes to like the most positive boy. Like, wouldn't it be great if he showed up tomorrow? and We could all celebrate this victory like, right. you know, we're not going to hold anything against him. Just like I hope the boy is OK and he can come back to the team. And that, that like that was it. We were just also bought into the process that like at that point it had gone so long and we hadn't seen him for so long that it was just like that deep rooted, like, damn, like, yeah. like something's really not right here. Unfortunate for 18 to 22 year olds to have to deal with something like that. And unfortunately we come to Sunday practice. Costa is found with what appears to be a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Jeff Hireman told the show big 10 elite that we're at pr- Sunday practice and the police show up. They have a conversation with Urban, and on the same show, Big Ten Elite, he said, Urban did, I prayed, give me strength. I'm not supposed to deliver this message. Anything you guys remember about uh, what Coach Meyer said to you guys? Yeah, um, I I definitely remember, um, and again, one of the tougher practices, as you can imagine, right? You know, we get in, we go to, you know, watch film, break it down. We're on the field. We're going through individual um, you know, and like Jeff said, right, he's, he sees the, the cops walk in. Let's say we're doing offense, right? So that means, hey, Ev, do you see those guys? You're, we're, so we're all looking at them. You know, you know, you see them go talk to Coach Meyer, and Coach Meyer put his hand in his head or do his hair pullback thing he always does and, you know, call a, a, a team huddle, right? Like in, in the middle of all this, right? Like why are you stopping this? So first oh, it's confusion, but then like the dots start, unfortunately, getting yeah. added up. And I, 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 I think I just look down and, tears couldn't you know disbelief all of it right it, yeah you know, i don't even i can't even tell you how he started talking because for everybody it hit us and then it was just like holy shit no way yeah i don't it if you've ever seen i don't think anybody would have ever seen like a a group of grown men crying tears of sorrow together like that's the image um and I, you know, I, as a player, that was really hard to receive um, because it's so shocking. And mm. to learn how it happened, I think, is even more shocking right. uh, because at first it's unexpected. But then, like, the human side of you says, well, shit, like, how, how could I have right. let this like, go? like, was my last conversation? Yeah, like, like, holy man. Like, yeah, were there like, any I signs? sitting there, like, watching ESPN, like, holy shit like we had like chicken or whatever the hell we had and he was right there you know what i mean and and that's the deal like you you literally start to question were there any signs could i have done anything and it's nobody's fault it really isn't but like you're you're gonna go there but i i'm i couldn't imagine being coach meyer and you gotta look your team in the eyes and you have to deliver that piece of news like i don't know how you I, i i truly don't know how you say that 
Well, Coach Meyer talked about you guys went and met with your position coaches. He said, I know Larry Johnson, our defensive line coach and a deeply spiritual man would be looking out for his guys, urging them to share their feelings and deal with their loss. So a quick pivot here, guys. Is this one of those instances when you're meeting with your individual coaches or they're talking to you where you're seeing your coaches as not the guy that's screaming you about X and O's or X's and O's, but a human being. These are dads, no not just coaches. Uh, no how, are they, how are they handling this? I mean, I, I feel like th for them, it was as emotional, or if it could be even more so, um, definitely emotional for them. Like, I mean, you know, even thinking about my coach, he had a young son, still right. does at the time. But like, just to think about like, hey, I could be supporting him to go chase his dreams in football and maybe nobody's really giving him the help that he needed. And, you know, God forbid something like this were to ever be considered or happen. Right. Like, right. so I think everybody just internalized it within their own worlds, coaches included. And then it was our jobs as young men to have conversations uh, with our coaches then afterwards you know whether it was a group or individually and be like hey you know I, I, i'm okay right? all of this is tough but i'm okay or um i'm not and right. here's some of the things that you know i'm not dealing with i, I don't have solutions yet hell that's why I, I probably need to be talking to you right now yeah and, and there were some of those conversations but you know that that was the kind of underlying theme yeah, and I, I just want, I want to talk about this because I know we'll, we'll get into it just a little bit deeper. But that's why the player-coach relationship, and Urban Meyer talks about the player-coach relationship all the time, is so important. Not just the ability to trust that your coach is teaching you the right technique and the scheme that they've installed is what's best for the team to be successful. It's the player-coach relationship as in um, they're an extension of your family and you should feel like you're an extension of theirs. Um, and I think we had as good of uh, relationships top to bottom as anybody in America. Mm -hmm. And so like this, you know, get with your coach and, and share with them. That shit doesn't work if there's no trust and there's not a, a personal relationship. Like if, if you're in a program where the coaches are there on a transactional basis to take the next step in their career, yeah. there is no fucking chance I can tell my coach I am dealing with something that I need right. help with in this situation. Like, you know, like, what are you going to say? Hey, talk to your coach if you guys have anything going on or if you need help. Well, I don't trust that guy. And I don't know if right. that guy likes me. I don't know if he's going to be here. Why am I going to open up to him? Mm -hmm. But at Ohio State, your coach can tell you after tragedy strikes, the the head coach can say, talk to your position coach. And the players will receive that and not think that the head coach is full of shit because the position coaches actually do care. And there's a genuine relationship that goes on there. Well, you know, when you can read something or hear something and you can tell it actually comes from the heart. I saw this in Stan Drayton's tweet. He said, men, you are never, ever defeated. In this family, you always have an ear that will listen to you. Mm -hmm. uh, that's good. Well, as hard as it may be, at this point, we're asking 18 and 22-year-olds to move forward. And Joshua, you referenced it a minute ago. Mike Bennett decided to switch his number from number 63 and honor Costa by wearing his number 53. He said, I didn't want Costa to be forgotten, so you're going to see his number all postseason. Does this type of leadership surprise you from Mike Bennett? <laughs> Absolutely no. not. No. Yeah. no. Not no. one bit. I mean, yeah. that, that's who he's been since he really got here. Because um, I can, you know, same, same class um, 
never never been shy to be a vocal leader to get some guys to try harder in sprints to you know get their ass to tutoring um, <laughs> or, or or quite frankly uh, you know be, be the guy out there that's you know going to get you in position on third down to make sure that you know we get the stop that we need um, Josh can speak much more to those moments but you know at the end of the day it starts from somewhere and you know deep down you know he came in ready to lead um, you know and, and it showed yeah. yeah, Mike is a standards guy. That's the best way to put it. It's like he he believed in having a standard, and if you didn't measure up or didn't live up or exceed the standard, he was going to let you know about it. And right. I think a part of his character standards, that value system for him, was to honor his teammates. And mm-hmm. so, like that, it's that is an embodiment of Mike and how he felt about his teammates, and specifically Costa is like. We're, we're going to live up to a certain standard, and we're going to honor our teammate. I was going to say, for a culture guy like Urban Meyer, he's got to love seeing a senior like Mike Bennett do something oh, yeah. like this. Well, for and an, overcame a lot of injuries, too, now. Mike, yeah. you know, definitely didn't have circumstance on his side, hey. either. He, he earned every accolade he got. Did he switch positions? Did you say that off-air, guys? Or was he, did he stay the same position that he always was mm-hmm. at Ohio State? I could be wrong. I'm I think that was Daryl sure. Baldwin you guys were talking yeah, about. Yeah, Daryl was Daryl. Okay. Uncle D. Okay. Joel. Okay. Uh, Chase Ferris. Good Sorry. Um, well, an unintended effect about this, Shelly Meyer, Urban's wife, who's a psychiatric nurse, said Costa's passing brought the team as close as humans can possibly be. Do you guys agree with that statement? You guys became a lot closer as a result of this? I don't think we had any other choice but to be a close team. Like if and I say that as in we always had a vision of being winners and being elite. And so when you go through adversity, if you don't get tighter as a team, then you can't achieve your goal of of being elite. So like JT get the Braxton gets hurt, you know, we lose the game, JT gets hurt, like all those things made us come closer together. Mm-hmm. You lose one of your brothers He's gone. He's never coming back. And you got to reconcile with that. The only way you can you can cope with that and still play football to an elite level is to rely on your teammates and your coaches and become close. And so we didn't have another option if, if, if we wanted to be what we became. That was what we had to do. But I think also just from a, you know, like a humanistic standpoint, like our guys were the type of group that were we were going to come together over that kind of thing. Like you see in families, sometimes you go through something like that and like, you know, family member passes and and you never talk to your brother or your sister ever again. You see in other families where people come together after those. And that's the type of structure that we had. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, like nothing can say that you could ever prepare have experience for what we went through. Right. But you know, looking backwards, we did have reps with some, damn unfortunate circumstance with Braxton sure. then then with JT um you know so we did have to look internally and 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 do so to figure out how we could all be better for one another um and then this was just that moment where it brought that type of athletic focus to you know a humanitarian one as i said earlier it's part of the reason that we we do these kind of things because it is just such a unique story about all the obstacles you guys had to overcome all right one quick thing before we move on If you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe, follow, and give us a download on your favorite podcasting app. It's easy to do. Just navigate to Glory Days, Dreams, and Nightmares on your podcasting platform and hit subscribe or follow, and you'll be able to see all of our newest updates right when they drop. Then remember to download each episode so you can take our show wherever you go. 
One more time, remember to subscribe and download the Glory Days podcast, Dreams and Nightmares, to listen to the newest episodes as soon as possible. And we're heading into practice for the Big Ten Championship, and you two and your teammates have a new starting quarterback in Cardell Jones. Mm. And before we get into his OSU career arc, because it is like a Hollywood-type arc, some background on one of OSU's great stories of 2014. Cardell joins us at Ohio State from a high school, Cleveland Glenville, that has sent its fair share of graduates down to Columbus to play for the Buckeyes. In fact, according to ESPN.com, from 2002 to 2013, the school sent, this is amazing, an astounding 20 players to suit up in the horseshoe. Now think about that. That's a quarter of an entire roster over a 10-year period. Oh, yeah. Glenville boys are built different, I'm telling you. That's what I'm saying. They they have a category amongst Ohio State lore for a reason. Well, so some of those players that, that came down from 2002 to 2013, Heisman Trophy winner Troy Smith, Ted Ginn, Dante Whitner, or is it Hitner? I can't remember. Remember he changed his name? He changed his name. <laughs> Ray Small, yeah. Bryant Browning. Hmm. And you know I got to say it, my man, double bird Marcus Hall, <laughs> among Marcus others. Marcus Hall, love him, love man, him. Man, when yeah. that guy sees me, I don't know him from Adam. I'm going to get a punch in the back of the head. <laughs> no, no, he's going he's to hit you with a double bird. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Two in the front, and then just a big hit. (laughs) We'll hold you down. We'll see what we can do. Don't worry. Oh, man. Well, it should be noted that on the 2014 team, Cardell had four Glenville teammates in Devin Bogard, Mm -hmm. Marcellus Jones, Marshawn Lattimore, and Chris Worley. Now, all those guys were also expert shit talkers, too. Like, they're the, the best shit talkers on the team. You come from Glenville. And you don't, you can't, you can't talk shit. Then there's something wrong with you. I had a note to say that I said, I think you guys have said it before, but trash talking seems to be on the curriculum at Glenville high. (laughs) It probably It might be an elective over (laughs) there. Yeah. Yeah, No, that's the after school program, right? (laughs) Get to O state and they start, you know, teaching y'all little idioms or whatever. Before you know, you're talking about some shit I I never heard before. Yeah. Finger gestures too. (laughs) (laughs) Look, we're going to get into things like the tweeting, Cartel, Cardell's transformation in a minute, but I want to ask Joshua. Cardell was in your recruiting class, and he actually enrolled early with you in January. My goodness, him during those initial Coach Meyer workouts. What were your initial thoughts of Cardell Jones? I mean, he seems like such a fun guy. Yeah, I mean, that's what it was. He, Cardell was always fun. Um, I mean, just big athlete, uh, you know, great arm, and the knowledge of the game, which is something I think is undersold for Cardell. <laughs> is ridiculous. And I'll tell this story is uh, Tyvis Powell was doing a, a podcast and he talked about playing Madden and Tyvis and Cardale were roommates and they always played against each other in Madden. And Tyvis got to a point where he stopped playing Cardale because he said that um, quarterbacks know too much about the game, but Cardale's knowledge of football is so perfect that he could get into every, every look, every single play, every time he would just, he'd call the right play and he would just be dissecting him. And he said, that Cardell was better than JT Barrett at doing that. Um, But you never knew that the first couple years on campus because Cardell was always doing something to get in his own way. And it was never a malicious thing. It wasn't because he didn't care. It was just because he was immature and he was trying to adjust. And I think that that period for him 
of not getting in his own way maybe took a little bit longer than it would for somebody typically coming in, but you start to see a change in him um, after the 2013 season specifically to where he starts to grow. But um, Cardell, I think, was always a really good teammate just from the really fact that teammate. he was yeah. a, a supportive guy. Um, and, you know, like he he was going to do what he had to do in order to to fit into his role on the team. Yeah, really good teammate he was, man. Well, speaking of Madden, I mean, we'll talk about this before the Alabama game, but he had a nice little contest with one of the kids <laughs> over at Children's Hospital, and we need to get Cardell a No Mercy shirt. That guy showed no mercy to anybody when it came to that game. He beat that kid pretty bad in, in hey, the overall it was, score. Uh, there is uh, evidence of um, other things to come. Sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we did mention the tweet, and I actually hate to bring this up because I think it can be a little played, but it is relevant to the Cardell Jones overall story. So on October 5th, 2012, the Friday before a home game against Nebraska, which I want to remind Buckeye fans is a big game because OSU had lost to Nebraska the year before, which was Nebraska's first year in the Big Ten, 34-27. The true freshman writes, why should we have to go to class if we came here to play football? We ain't come to play school. Classes are pointless. Mm. Urban's reaction, according to his book, Above the Line, is we're getting ready to play a big, big time game in a great stadium. And I get a bunch of text messages and phone calls about, did you hear? So we suspended him immediately for the game. And it was a very ignorant comment. <laughs> your guys, ah. oh man, your guys <laughs> reaction to the tweet. And did you say anything to him or did you just give him the... Dude, I feel you, but you messed up look. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that ignorant of a comment at the end of the day because it's how we all felt. Like, I, I've always said this, and, and this is me, you know, making statements. I got nothing to do with nothing. But um, the, the, the thought that trading uh, your athletic skill for an academic scholarship is a good system, I think, is broken um, because a lot of these players wouldn't have qualified to get into these schools unless – um, they had top tier athleticism. So mm -hmm. it's not a fair trade. It's it's really not what athletes are there for, neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I asked Cardell about this tweet. And, and when I first saw it, I was like, damn, like he, you definitely can't do that. But years later, you ask him, like, what was the heart of the tweet? Why would you put that out there? And he said that he was up late studying for an exam, thought that he had prepared really hard and ended up getting like a C on the exam and was really frustrated at the fact that he was putting all of his effort into his you know, schoolwork and couldn't get a better result. Yeah. And so, you know, you make an immature decision afterward and you're not making an excuse, but it's not like the dude literally hated school or like wasn't going to class. It was the fact that, you know, he was he was devoting so much time to it and wasn't getting what he wanted out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And this doesn't help that, you know, it should be noted in 2014, Urban went on record saying that, you know, Cardell was a guy that we did not recruit. Hmm. Just a mess. Did not take care of his business academically. We had tons of meetings. And I know this last year, I know this last year has been a complete transformation from a very immature person, not just player, person. He's taking care of his business. And, and we discussed this a few episodes back, how Urban can sometimes criticize a player while also talking of his redemption. Well, well, on that one. The great part about this is the transformation begins. In Cardell's own words, Coach Meyer got fed up with me and called me into his office. Hmm. Urban said at that meeting, short and sweet, we had a come to Jesus meeting and it was very uncomfortable. I mean, you guys have seen and heard of other players having come to Jesus meetings with Urban, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we talked about Eli Apple a few weeks ago. It works. 
and Urban before the crucial 2014 spring practice begins. And fans should be reminded that this spring practice will hopefully shed some light on determining the perceived backup to Braxton Miller. Urban tells 11 Warriors, talk about a changed guy. He was a guy that couldn't get out of his own way before. You know about the tweet. He's a completely different guy. My question is, when did you guys see this transformation take hold? Joshua, you said before 2014. Do you, is there a moment you remember seeing this or just it just happened? I think it was just over the course of the spring. Like, here's a guy who hadn't played a ton. He's taken first team reps in uh, Braxton's absence. And, um, you know, like he's he's really evolving. Like you see uh, guys spending more time around the facility watching tape. Um, all the different things that a quarterback needs to do. Like you see the relationship with his coach to where, you know, he's asking next level questions and he's taking the mental rep when he's not in. Like, I think you started to see that Cardell was always again, he was always going to be a good quarterback if he wanted to be a good one. Um, And I think that it it was just going to be the opportunity that he would need to seize. But you started to see like when when the chance became real for him to be that guy, like he was doing what he needed to do to become that guy. And there's no doubt about it. And, and for me, like looking at that moment, Cardell obviously was mentally there and ready to take the step. But I saw it when it was the transition from Tuesday to Wednesday practice that week before we went to go play Wisconsin. Right? Okay. Like we went from average, eh, this isn't going to look good when we go play Saturday, to we may beat the Browns. Right? <laughs> you know, let's go play the Bengals the week after that kind of sure. thing. Like, but seriously, offensively, it was that surgical. So from there, it was just building and growing off of that confidence. But that's when I really saw it go, um, you know, kind of theory to physical or whatever you want to call it. Well, Tyvis has a great quote about that. We'll get to that into a second. But we come out of the spring practice, and Cardell is actually the leader. But something happens, and the competition seems to be open back up. And in fall camp, one week or so before Braxton Miller goes down with a season-ending injury, Cardell falls behind JT Barrett. And for the better part of the next three months, all JT Barrett does is he steps in and he rewrites the OSU record books for passing and for touchdowns. Cardell tells Big Ten Elite that he had talked with Coach Meyer about leaving because JT was having an unbelievable year and I've got to find my place. Now remember, this is in 2014, way before the transfer portal gained popularity, but had been it had been done before with Russell Wilson at Wisconsin and some others. My question, were you guys aware of Cardell talking about possibly leaving? Because that seems to be glossed over in the overall narrative, is that Cardell was actually thinking about leaving Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, it was, we all kind of generally understand each other's situations, right? Right. I mean, it's not like they're rotating quarterbacks in and out like they're rotating receivers, right? So Devin and I knew that even though, you know, we still played receiver, we played different positions. We can be on the field at the same time, we can rotate in and out, whatever. In Cardell's situation, we all knew what it was. So it's just like, you know, of course he's going to want to play. Of course he's want to get, going to get going to want to get on the field, and he's physically as gifted as any of the best quarterbacks ever drafted. Right. So mm-hmm. like, you know, from a personal level, we all wanted that for him as well. Now circumstance had it that he had that opportunity at Ohio State, but before it was given, you know, we were looking at him like, damn, that's a lot of potential. And if I were him, I would want to be able to showcase it as well. That's the deal there. I think generally it's understood that you come to Ohio State as one of the best and you want to play. And when you're not playing, 
it, it would not be a surprise that you would be exploring other opportunities where you could go play. Well, we're all glad as OSU fans that he didn't leave because he's the starter in one of the most crucial games in memory. And as a precursor, people should know that Wisconsin is not his first meaningful game action. He stepped into a very delicate situation the week before with OSU leading 28-21 over a Michigan team. And he also played the second half of the Illinois game. And I don't think, as I just mentioned a minute ago, his seriousness can be denied as Cardell's roommate, Tyvis Powell, said, Cardell is a video gamer. And when I knew that something was different was when I came home and he wasn't in there playing video games. I said, Cardell, where are you at? He said, I'm at the Woody watching film and throwing balls. I said, oh, okay. How are you guys feeling with him at the helm heading into the Big Ten championship game? So Great. I'll say from a defensive standpoint, and then I'll let Evan mm-hmm. really hit it because you're in those meeting rooms, but yeah. there was a thought that we would have to have an elite defensive performance because anytime you're putting a quarterback in a game plan that late in the year, you know things aren't going to click typically the way they would if you had a starter throughout the whole year. It's not that one player is necessarily worse than the other. It's that the offense has evolved and, and had a comfort level with one guy the whole year, right? But I, I feel like there is this thought from people outside of the program that like Cardale didn't go to quarterback meetings or never took a practice rep until it was time to play this game. Like He didn't know how to throw a football. And he consumed all the same information that JT Barrett got to consume all year long he got to take a lot of the same reps that JT Barrett got to take. Maybe not as many, but, I mean, they're repping the same thing. They're going through the same individual drills. They're watching the same tape. So unless Cardale was just completely absent, then he was going to be prepared from the standpoint of he had been through a whole year of mm-hmm. meetings and practice preparing to play in games. And when you're the backup quarterback, you have to prepare like you're the starting quarterback anyway. Mm-hmm. So just having that understanding as somebody who's in the room, like we just knew like, hey, things might not be as explosive. So we got to play well. Cardell was going to be ready. Yeah. And, and I think like the difference between the offensive styles that we started to understand, like, and, and I'll give you this example, right? Like, um, Braxton got hurt and we were going to have a, a certain type of offense. JT came in and then we very much had to change ourselves and, 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 and win and run the football a different way with him at, at the helm. Um, you know, but I think Cardell was still watching those same reps, still watching those same plays, knowing that we weren't attacking this side of the coverage or we weren't keeping this safety honest for this type of reason. And not no no slight on JT because he has things that Cardell wasn't as good at, but Cardell knew that one of his strengths was being able to keep that guy on and be yeah. able to keep that guy right there yeah. and, and attack that side of the field. So mentally, he knew that if we could mold and morph the offense like we eventually did, we could start to you know attack those things. And you know, uh, with one and a half practices under our belt, we showed that we were able to do that. Well, I want to ask you what the coaches said because uh, Luke Fickle said the biggest growth that we had as a defense was when JT went down. And I think it was that true sense of feeling that, oh my goodness, they really need us. Joshua is, is what's Luke saying to you guys about the situation with Cardell Jones as quarterback going um, into the Wisconsin game? Just, we, we can't leave anything up to chance in terms of, you know, like I think we were confident that the offense would go out there and be able to score points. But let's just say 
that they're going up against the Wisconsin defense that's one of the best. Like, what happens if they do struggle to score points? Like, we're going to have to make sure that we're doing our part um, in, in making sure that Wisconsin can't score a lot of points. And so I think that was the big thing for us is let's not be a team that waits on the offense to blow the game out. Like, let's make it so that we are – we're suffocating our opponent. They can't score points and we're getting the ball back for our offense so they can blow the game open. Like we're going to be, we're going to be the driver, not less, not necessarily, not necessarily let the offense sit back and do it. Well, you guys are both going to have your hands full because Wisconsin has the number two defense statistically in the country. They've also got the number one running back on the offensive side. Evan, uh, Tom Herman said, look, it was no longer a question of, can we win with this guy? It's we have to win with this guy. Right. What right. are the offensive coaches saying to you guys? Because Zeke Elliott said, stand right and said, you're going to have to have the game of your life. Mm-hmm. It was everybody had to elevate themselves again to get Cardale comfortable. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, it wasn't can we, it was ha- we have to. Look backwards. Think of all the momentum that we built. Think about how we responded from Virginia Tech. We put up 60-some-odd points on this team. We responded in Michigan State when we had to win big. That's all momentum that carries on into games into the future. Yeah. So once we had that injury, it's not like we got to stop time. We, you know, we didn't have that benefit. So with Cardell, it was, okay, well, let's get on the board. He's darn good at these couple things, and these are the things that we're really going to have to protect. Okay, well, when we were going up on the board and looking at all that shit, the whole offense was looking at it or figuratively looking at it and saying, okay, well, my job can help that. My job can help that. My job can help that. And if we get Cardell comfortable, he's the freakiest talent at quarterback we've all ever seen. Yeah, like I've never seen Cardell or I've never seen somebody go into the into the woody in the indoor, just like look up and flick a ball and put a little dot on the inside ceiling roof of the indoor facility. And like that's just talent and just raw ability to deliver a football. You know what I'm saying? But like if we can allow him to be comfortable and do his thing, it can get scary, but it could also be a shit show, too. So we got to step up. Obviously, I think the uh, college football committee took note of that. But a reminder to listeners, before we get to the game itself, the college football selection committee is going to make their final selections for the first ever playoffs a little more than 12 12 hours after the Big Ten championship game is completed. Looking at the key games and how they might play into entrance into the playoffs. Heading into the Big Ten championship game, number one Alabama is playing number 14 Missouri. Number two Florida State is playing in the ACC championship against Georgia Tech. Number three, Oregon is playing number eight, Arizona in the Pac-12 championship the night before. And number four, TCU not playing in a championship game because the Big 12 doesn't have one at the time, is playing a two and nine unranked Iowa State team. You guys are number five playing number 11. And given your position in the rankings, tell us what Urban was saying about style points and and what you're going to have to do in this game to get recognized by the committee. I, 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 style points is a good way to categorize it in the media. I would say for us, um, it's not a hundred percent fitting because, you know, I'm going to give you perspective and Josh is going to give you a defense perspective offensively. And I've said this before, um, 
you know, what's our job on first down? Well, our job is going to be we're going to because we have Cardell, we're going to attack that safety or second down. We're going to attack this safety. Yeah. Right. So it was very, very focused on, you know what, if if we run this inside nine on this shoulder, right on this down and distance with this leverage, guess what? We're going to be able to score. And if we do that on this possession, we damn sure need to do it on the next one. And then on the next one, we're going to pop Zeke. The next one, Jeff or, um, you know, Nick or something is going to do something crazy and so on and so forth. So to focus your attention into, hey, if I string all these things together, that will be enough. And then enough is per media, right? We put our media little suit and tie on, right? Like now that's the style points, (laughs) right? Like the style point is them just literally getting drug across the field for three hours. Yeah. Right. You know, that's what it is. Yeah. And I'll say like defensive standpoint too, it was, it was literally like stop the run was our, our emphasis of the week. And then, you know, if we were able to do that, we felt like we could be successful. I just want to run through this real quick, just to point something out. You're reading off some of the names of the, you know, the 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 matchups. Yep. For so Alabama's Alabama right now. Missouri sucks. Florida State sucks. <laughs> yeah. Georgia yeah. Tech sucks. Oregon sucks. Arizona mm-hmm. sucks. TCU sucks. Yeah. Wisconsin dropped out of the top twenty-five yeah. the week that we're recording this. It's yeah. so crazy looking back. It's such a it, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's a great statement on where college football is today, in terms of you know look. There's really four or five teams, right? It's Alabama, it's Oklahoma, it's Ohio State, it's Notre Dame now, but Notre Dame hasn't been that way every year. Um, you get a team from the SEC like an LSU or a Georgia team that comes up, but I mean, yeah, you get yeah. Clemson now too. Yeah, Clemson, I'm yeah, sorry, Clemson. how yeah. can I forget but them? They're come they're on, the, now. They're I mean, there's Disney. Yeah. They're, they're yeah, permanently Disney. enshrined, <laughs> right? Let's, For uh, real. Let's, uh, oh yeah, well, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> so, but but it's just crazy <laughs> to say like Alabama and Ohio State are are like two brands at least recently that haven't you know been down. Yeah, and you can't say that for everybody, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's it's also good investment into coaches and to building a program. Again, Dabo yeah. Sweeney and Nick Saban and Urban Meyer now Ryan Day. Yep. These are people that are paid yep. accordingly. But if you look at the donations that come to Alabama, if you look at the admissions at Ohio State, it has that effect. And I don't understand why other programs won't get on that train. But yeah. that's a story for another day. Yeah. So we're on to the game, guys, and here are the particulars. Like we said before, number five, Ohio State, is a four-point underdog versus number 11, Wisconsin. And even though Ohio State is higher ranked, Vegas favors the Badgers. It's the start of three straight games where OSU is the underdog. It really feels like Vegas can't figure this out. And a fun fact here, OSU's ultimate win will be the largest victory ever for a college football team that was an underdog heading into the game. I mean, that still stands <laughs> to this day. Can you believe yeah. it? We've, that we've one actually done, might stand for a while. I yeah, I think so. Say so we've done some first evers and yeah. some largest evers. and it, It's pretty cool to be able to do that. 100%. Well, if, if we're going to create merchandise for this show, we're definitely going to put that on there too. I think we need to have a shirt that's got about five bullet points no of no first doubt. evers. <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin comes in 10 and 2 after a win over Minnesota while the Buckeyes come in at 11 and 1 with a win over rival Michigan. The kickoff is at night at 8:07. It's in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. 60,000 fans, I can tell you from being there, if about 45,000 were Ohio State fans. And the game is on Fox. It's funny because Gus Johnson just loves him some Cardell Jones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys, quickly because we're going to look at this differently, but was there any talk of 2013 
before this game? I mean, I'm sure there, Urban wasn't talking about eating pizza on a golf cart, but what were you, <laughs> any mentions of this before yeah. you went into the game? Well, I don't know specific mentions, but like, dude, like I, I, I recently went back, went back, did my film or whatever. We hadn't won a cha- Coach Meyer hadn't won a Big Ten championship yet at yeah. Ohio State, right? Yeah. Like right. personally, and this is obvious given that statement, but I came in and hadn't won anything yet. So it's like we've mm-hmm. done all this cool stuff during the season, blown out teams. We've looked great, but then haven't really been able to, you know, have our names enshrined in the thing at the end of the at the end of the day, right? Um, whatever Coach Meyer had up on our indoor facility, complete your job or whatever it was, mission complete. Um, you know, that's what we were after. So I think that the the tone was just set, let's go get it and let's yeah. get it with um, our style points <laughs> yeah. and then see what can come afterwards. Well, when reviewing games here, normally we give a pretty detailed back and forth, but because <laughs> the Badgers didn't score, we thought there was, we would, there was no back and forth. It, no was, just, and forth wasn't, it was just fourth for us. There was no <laughs> back from yeah. them. First down, I'll go. Second down, I'll go. (laughs) So I want to do something a little different. I'm going to give the score by quarters. Tell who scored for Ohio State. Give some statistics and finish up with some fun facts. You ready, guys? Yep. Spoiler alert, Ohio State wins 59-0. It's a blowout from the very beginning, but here we go by quarters. At the end of the first, it's 14-0. And at the end of the second quarter, it is 38-0. So I'll I'll say that might have been convincing enough to get us into the playoff. Yeah. Just a thirty-eight to nothing halftime. If that yeah. was the the score at the end of the game, Evan, I agree. Evan, at this point offline, you said that you and Jeff Hireman were a little bit shocked. Yeah. What, what were we guys saying to each other? So I mean, again, right? So I, I told you the plan, right? Get your leverage right, do your thing right on defense, and we'll be able to, you know, hopefully get there. Well, at the same time, there's there's still a sliver of like you expect resistance, yeah, <laughs> kind of deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> so at some point, like I, you know, I'm you know, looking around, elation. Yeah, this is great. You know, we're we're over here, arms like we're flying around because nobody can stop us. And then we're about to run into halftime, and I think I caught Jeff's eye for some reason, and I just looked at him, and I looked, I'm like, dude what in the hell is going on? He's like, I have no idea. This is like the craziest thing in the world. Like we were just in complete awe, right? Because again, our job was to still do our job, but kind of like I mentioned, right? You do expect resistance and them to stop you a time or two in terms of like scoring and all that other jazz. But, you know, at the end of the day, we had a point to prove and nobody was going to stop us from doing that. I was going to say on an Urban Meyer team, I don't think you guys were talking about heading over to St. Elmo's and having some of that shrimp cocktail. No, no, uh, no, no. So... At the end of the third, it's 45 nothing. Joshua, your thoughts on Wisconsin at this point? Man, it was supposed to be the, the best rushing offense in the history of rushing offenses. You know, like mm-hmm. one of the best. Might have been up to that point. That was like the, the best single game rushing performance that Melvin Gordon had. And here's a guy who's a, a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. Yep. And they ain't getting shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you also said you did an off-season workout with Joel Staub. It's Staub, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Good guy? let's. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about the the offensive philosophy that they had in our game plan against it. So their philosophy uh, was uh, to run the ball. They had a bunch of big guys up front. They were a gap running team, which means that they had pullers. So you know, guards pulling, tackles pulling, they pull their tight ends on on counter plays, put a fullback in the backfield, you know, multiple tight ends in the game. It's just power. And Joel was a guy who could manage a game, um, couldn't throw the ball, uh, couldn't throw it a lick. 
Um, and so our, our philosophy was, <clears throat> we called it over black. So our, our traditional defense was an over front cover four defense behind it. So, you know, DBs are covering four deep zones and we're playing underneath whatever. Um, against them, we went over black, which was straight man to man. So everybody's manned up. Uh, we had three linebackers on the two running backs in the backfield. If there is a tight end who's off the line of scrimmage, we would have the safety come down and it would be four of us on the three of them in the backfield. We just handle it. If the tight end was in line on the line of scrimmage, we'd have Tyvis, the safety, come down and press him like as many guys we could get in the box. We're stopping the run. And it was a, a dinosaur of an offense, but Joel Stave was a guy uh, who's very simple and he had a flip phone. So you had a dinosaur <laughs> for a quarterback, you run a dinosaur <laughs> offense. And we just suffocated them. They couldn't do shit. Um, and it was a point of pride for us that they weren't going to get a yard in yeah. that dinosaur offense. Wow. I wish Flip I could phone. have seen Joel Stave after the game because he was probably rolling with a pair of Crocs and a pair of dad jeans. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. he's texting, texting his parents down. probably yes. off of the bus where you got to like click three <laughs> times to get C. He's just taking a half an hour to send a text message. This sucks. How long did it take him to text F-U-C-K and that's it? <laughs> so anyway, who, who scored at the end of the game? Fifty-nine, nothing. Now here's who scored for Ohio State, and I think they should just give the team the MVP award because there are so yeah. many guys that had an unbelievable game. Devin Smith has a career day with three touchdowns. Mm. Zeke Elliott's got two TDs. Curtis Samuel's got two TDs. The defense gets in on the fun as Joey Bosa has a TD on a fumble caused by Mike Bennett and Josh Joshua. Uh, Sean Nuremberger has a field goal. So statistically, Cardell is the MVP. He gets uh, he throws for 257 and three yeah. touchdowns. Zeke runs. Deserving to. Yeah, absolutely. And Zeke uh, runs for 220 and two TDs. Devin, as I talked before, four catches, 137 yards. Three of those are TDs. The offense doubles Wisconsin's output with 558 total yards. Here's a great, here's some great stats. The defense holds Wisconsin to 258 total yards. They force four freaking turnovers, three of these being interceptions, one of these as a fumble for a touchdown with Joey Bosa. Darren Lee and Von Bell lead the team with seven tackles. Raquan McMillan with six tackles. And this is one I want to highlight. Mike Bennett, five tackles, two sacks, two forced fumbles, two forced fumbles. I can't believe he wasn't an MVP candidate as well. So Yeah, he's playing inspired. Yeah. Um, I just want to point out here, though, on the stat sheet, Darren Lee leading the way with seven tackles. So that was the one way Wisconsin thought that they were going to try to move the ball is since we're all in the box and everything's in tight. There was me at 6'4", 250, Raekwon at 6'3", 240, and Darren Lee is 6'2", 225. They're like, we're going to run it at the little linebacker <laughs> and try to see if we can bully him. And Darren played big. We might have lost Joshua I, right there. Oh, man. Am I here? Yeah, now we no, got you. Good. Do it again. Okay. Now we're going to run at the linebacker. Oh, yeah, no. He said we're going we're gonna to run at the little linebacker, but Darren played big, and that yeah. was huge. So. How, how, how long are people going to underestimate the defense and Darren Lee? I mean, this is, this is a theme. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> fun facts. As stated, it's the largest victory in college football history for an underdog. The Wisconsin came into the game with the number two defense in all of college football and gave up 558 yards and 59 points. Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, that was the biggest exclamation point. Like if I had to put anything in, like, you know, whatever, I would say that, like, they had nationally recognized they had a nationally recognized defense and people respected yeah. them for that and we were able to pick them apart as we did and then from there it was like how could you not 
allow this team to go in if they yeah. can do that to who you said was the number two defense in the nation. Well, speaking of our defense, Wisconsin came into the game with the nation, nation's leading rusher, and the OSU defense holds him to 76 yards. And this is a guy that, again, three weeks ago ran for 408. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to just say this. That's a huge point of pride because when a team says they're going to run the ball, they're saying that they're a tougher, more physical, stronger you know, just mentally more their team than you are. And you said all of the damn, the stats, you know, averages eight yards per carry, run for 200 plus yards five times, you know, like only been held under 100 yards one other time that year. Yeah. Like we dismantled an offense that was built to run the football. Well, here's something we got to put on our merchandise too, because you pointed out, Joshua, the other day that this is the first of three straight games where OSU is going to face a Heisman Trophy finalist. As a fan, I got to tell you, I forgot that, and it's amazing. Melvin Gordon in the Big Ten Championship, Amari Cooper in the college football semifinal. I think Derrick Henry was like fifth or sixth that year, yep. too. And mm -hmm. Marcus Mariota, the eventual Heisman Trophy winner in the national championship. So the defense does not get enough credit. And here's a stat I know you're going to love, just as Evan talked about a point of pride the defense holds Wisconsin to an astounding 1.9 yards per carry. That's like Penn State numbers. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. You're not moving the needle when you're a rushing offense and your your plan is, you know, first down, run the ball, second down, run the ball, third down, throw the ball, like, the, the you know, the old school offense. Well, 1.9 yards, 1.9 yards, and you get yeah. into, uh, you know, third and seven basically with the quarterback who can't fucking throw the ball that's a right. bad yeah. game plan yeah. yeah and as receivers like you know one of the things that we look forward to and can tell that when the defense is kicking ass is we always want to go out and block punts right mm -hmm. so they'll, they'll call black team boy whatever you know and the and a lot of receivers go out so i remember specifically just the fact that we had so many different rush attempts right so it, it just felt fun it felt like we were always attacking yeah. going after them and they didn't really have any many they didn't have good answers for the attacks that we were throwing at them and so those attacks beat down on the opposition. You know, Curtis Grant says Wisconsin never stood a chance and that unity and passion let you dominate the game like you did. In this week's Captain's Perspective with Curtis Grant, he shares how he really feels about the team that was good enough to play the Buckeyes for a Big Ten championship. I felt some type of way before the game even started because they kept calling us the little brother to fucking Wisconsin, like. Bro, we've never been a little brother in Wisconsin. Don't ever disrespect us like that. We've never lost to Wisconsin since I've been at Ohio State. Now, have we have had close games? Yeah. So I felt some type of way about that. So, you know, I had to let the team know how I was feeling, you know, basically. In in, in, in the locker room, I told them, I told the guys, I was like, they they saying we the underdogs. And I was like, fuck that. We not no underdogs. We, we, we the big brother. I said, defense, we're going to go ahead and shut, shut their ass out. And, and coaches, you run the score up and put their foot on their neck. And everybody got hyped, and we went out. And next thing I know, everybody was playing their ass off. You know what I mean? And I remember to this day, like, I still get chills. That was, like, my favorite speech of my own, you know, <laughs> because I had so many, you know, F-bombs that, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was a good, you know, good speech. You know, a couple F-bombs get everybody hyped, you know what I'm saying? So, man, we went out there. And that's what we did. We showed up. We played. We just kept hitting them in the mouth. Like, they didn't 59-0. And I told Coach to keep running the score up some more and make it 70. Well, we've had some success with this in the past, so I'm going to ask it to close the episode. Anything happen in this most challenging of weeks, either in the game or practice, uh, 
that fans don't know it by this point. I mean, we know Alabama is coming. You guys don't know it yet. Anything that week that sticks out to you guys in practice or the game you want to highlight? I mean, we did cover a lot today. For me, the biggest thing is just like our offense's ability to mold itself again. Right. So we had to go from a certain style of offense that we planned for all offseason to something that was going to start small and grow with JT and his um, talents and capabilities to shit. We got momentum. Here's what's been working good for us. But here's a few things we can add on to make ourselves more dynamic. So for us, the biggest thing to highlight was just our ability to add those things on in a week's time in terms of just getting ready for this game and going out there and having fun and not playing slow, worried about corrections or mistakes or wrong steps um, and things like that. I think for me, and this was the first time we felt this way, but it absolutely was not the last time. But I think this was the first time as a team that we felt like we were Teflon. Like you could throw anything at us and it's just going to bounce off. We're bulletproof and we can do anything as long as we can come together as a group with a plan to do it. Um, And throughout the playoff run, we absolutely felt like that a couple more times. But I think this was the first moment where we felt like that as a full team. Well, I think that's a good place to kind of stick a pin in this episode. Anybody want to throw anything else before we kind of close? Other than go Bucks. Bucks whenever we play again. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, right. Yeah. Whenever that is, go Buck has them. Yeah. The Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares with Joshua Perry and Evan Spencer. Hosted by Chris Caldwell and presented by Branch Insurance. Coverage you need, savings you deserve. Hey y'all, it's Evan. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Glory Days Podcast, Dreams and Nightmares. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory Days Pod, on Instagram at Glory underscore Days underscore Pod, and like us on Facebook at Glory Days Podcast. Next episode. The difference in preparation was that from the GA all the way to Brian Boltolini, right? It was, it has to be perfect, right? We have to get these guys ready. It has to be an immersive environment for the next X number of weeks for us to win this football game. Because guess what? Our opponents, that's what they're doing. Our first great test in the first college football playoff, the college football giants from Tuscaloosa. Stories from the game and a close look at a legendary play from Buckeye lore. Bring your popcorn and I'll be sure to see you guys next time.